Right, we're listening to Urban Urban Bible Scholar. I don't want you to know this. When Jesus was on earth, people believed that... Speaking in tongues, did you know this about the Lord's Prayer? How do you tell the story? Did you know that Jesus got into a magic... Because I've looked at every conspiracy... They don't want you to know this. What if I told you that the last days already happened? What if I told you that everything you believe about the last days is actually new? What if I told you that the way how you understand the last days compared to how Jesus' disciples would have understood the last days are two completely different understandings? And what if I told you that everything is okay and that doesn't mean the Bible is incorrect? What that means is what you've been taught about the Bible is incorrect. The last days is not about the last days of America. It's not about the last days of Australia. The last days is not about the last days of the world. The last days is actually about the last days of old covenant Israel. And once you understand the focal subject point, then you will understand more clearly. The last days was about the end of heaven and earth, but heaven and earth to a first century Jew was actually the temple. You see, Jews used to call the temple heaven and earth because the Jewish temple sat on top of a mountain and Jews and people in the ancient world used to call mountains places between heaven and earth. So when we in 2023 read verses like heaven and earth will pass away, we don't get the reference that Jesus is in front of the Jewish temple. So Jesus is not prophesying about the end of the material universe, but rather Jesus is prophesying about the Jewish temple being destroyed. So Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Jewish temple will pass away, but the word of Jesus, and what are the words of Jesus? The Tanakh, the Torah, the Navim, the Kedavim. The Jewish temple will pass away, but the Torah will remain forever. So the last days was not about the universe being destroyed. The last days was about the Jewish temple that Jesus and the disciples were standing right in front of, passing away. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah came, the Messiah was supposed to bring a new temple. They understood that the second Jewish temple that they would go to and they would give sacrifices and they would have their sins forgiven. They understood that that temple wasn't going to remain forever. And they understood that a third temple was going to come about. But the temple that Jesus had in mind is not the temple that the Jews in the first century had in mind. And it's not the temple that we have in mind today. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And something that goes over our heads is the conversation they have. Jesus says, the time is coming. And now here, when we will not worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but those who worship God 
will worship God in spirit and in truth. Well, the way how you worship God in the first century was by going to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, their temple was on a mountain. The Samaritans had another temple that they would go to, and their temple was on a mountain as well. So Jesus is letting the Samaritan woman at the well know, one day there will not be any temple, because one day you will worship God in spirit and in truth without one. What the disciples were waiting for, they were waiting for the physical Jewish temple that they were standing in front of in 30 AD to fall to the ground. And when the Jewish temple physically fell to the ground, the true temple that Jesus was trying to get them ready for for three years, the true temple that was not of this world, the true temple that was not physical, the true temple that was a spiritual temple was going to come down from heaven and tabernacle inside of men. Now, that event has already happened. The Jewish temple has already been destroyed. And because there's no more Jewish temple, because that Jewish temple has passed away, we are now in the new heaven and the new earth. But the new heaven and the new earth doesn't have anything to do with the new material universe. But the new heaven and the new earth is a fulfillment of John chapter 4. We no longer have to go to a physical temple anymore. Because... We are the temples right here, right now. I'm going to go into more of this stuff about what the end times was actually about and why we are not in the end times today. But what you need to do is you need to follow me and hit that notification button at the top of my page so you can get notified every time I talk about this stuff. But we are not in the last days. It is okay. And the Bible is not wrong. What you've been taught about the last days in the Bible is incorrect. But that's exactly why I'm here. All right, guys, follow me. What if I told you that the last days already happened? What if I told you that everything you believe about the last days is actually new? What if I told you that the way how you understand the last days compared to how Jesus' disciples would have understood the last days are two completely different understandings? And what if I told you that everything is okay and that doesn't mean the Bible is incorrect? What that means, did you know this about the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer is actually a very well-crafted... Do you like the book of Enoch? Incest was a sin in the... Alright guys, so as you guys know, I am blocked from going on TikTok Live, but what you guys can do... I heard, I heard this dude preaching, like, he was preaching hard, too. What is the light... They wish you off, Shani. Did you know this about the Bible? Contrary to popular belief, Adam and Eve were actually not written to be historical. Do you like the book of Enoch? Do you, is speaking in Did you know actually comes to fulfill? Not a dot will pass away from the law until everything is accomplished. So I just wanted to give some critiques in love. I just want to say I love your channel. I love your work. Uh, it's great that you are in Christian apologetics and you're helping people defend the faith. But there are some things you are not correct on. And I just want to give a loving critique. So here I go. So fulfilling the law and taking away from the law 
Those are actually first century rabbinical terms. So what would happen is a rabbi would go into synagogue, he would stand up, and he would read from the Torah, or a half Torah, and then he would sit down so he could give the interpretation. And the people would listen. Now, if the rabbi gave a good interpretation, he was fulfilling Torah. He was bringing Torah to its full understanding. And if the rabbi gave a bad interpretation of Torah, he was taking away from the Torah. So fulfilling the law and taking away from the law or Torah, that doesn't have anything to do with physical manual labor. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus physically doing a physical task and fulfilling the law physically. It has to do with bringing the true meaning of Torah to its complete understanding. This is from the Jewish New Testament commentary, and this is on the part about the Yad. A Yad or Yad is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet and is used in the Jewish New Testament to render the Greek iota, the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Only a small stroke distinguishes one Hebrew letter from another. For example, Dalit from Resh or Bai from Kaf. King James Version transliterates Yud as Jot and renders Stroke as Tittle. The corresponding Hebrew term is Kotz, literally Thorn. So Ayad is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and if you change one stroke of Ayad, you change the entire meaning of what you're trying to say. And there's a story about King Solomon, about how Ayah protested that King Solomon was trying to remove it from scripture. A thousand Solomon should be uprooted, God declared, but not a single Yah will pass from my word. And then Jesus talks about heaven and earth passing away. Well, heaven and earth passing away is talking about the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple was known as heaven and earth. So Jesus was trying to let them know when the Jewish temple passed away, that is when the law would be done away with come to fulfill not a dot will pass away from the law until everything is accomplished so i just wanted to give some critiques in love i just want to say i love your channel i love your work uh it's great that you are in christian apologetics and you're helping people defend the faith but there are some things you are not correct on and i just want to give a loving critique so here i go so fulfilling the law and taking away from the law those are actually first century rabbinical terms. So what would happen is a rabbi would go into synagogue, he would stand up, and he would read from the Torah, or a half Torah, and then he would sit down so he could give the interpretation. And the people would listen. Now if the rabbi gave a good interpretation, he was fulfilling Torah. He was bringing Torah to its full understanding. And if the rabbi gave a bad interpretation of Torah. He was taking away from the Torah. So fulfilling the law and taking away from the law or Torah, that doesn't have anything to do with physical manual labor. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus physically doing a physical task and fulfilling the law physically. It has to do with bringing the true meaning of Torah to its complete understanding. This is from the Jewish New Testament commentary, and this is on the part about the Yad. 
A yod or yud is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet and is used in the Jewish New Testament to render the Greek iota, the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Only a small stroke distinguishes one Hebrew letter from another. For example, Dalit from Resh or Bait from Kaf. King James Version transliterates Yud as Jot and renders Stroke as Tittle. The corresponding Hebrew term is Kot, literally Thorn. So Ayad is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet and if you change one stroke of a yod, you change the entire meaning of what you're trying to say. And there's a story about King Solomon, about how Ayah protested that King Solomon was trying to remove it from scripture. A thousand Solomon shall be uprooted, God declared, but not a single yod will pass from my word. And then Jesus talks about heaven and earth passing away. Well, heaven and earth passing away is talking about the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple was known as heaven and earth. So Jesus was trying to let them know when the Jewish temple... Paul, when he writes Romans, he uses Adam as a type of Jesus. Peter doesn't use Adam. He uses Enoch. He yep. uses the story of Enoch. So we know from Peter and from Second Peter that he knows this material well because he'll, he'll allude to things that are in, like the spirits in prison. That's not in the Old Testament. Peter uses the Enoch story that he assumes his readers know. And if you know the story, you know, Enoch, yes, he walks with God, but, but this is again in connection with what happens before the flood with the sons of God, uh -huh. you know, yep. the watchers, and, and they're, be, they're being condemned. And so at one point in the story, as it's told in the book of Enoch, the watchers you know, contact Enoch and say, well, you've you got a lot of favor with God, you know, so can you like go up to God and, and ask him to, to not you know, keep us in prison here. We're sorry, it was wrong, you know, we get it, he's right. Could, could you go intercede for us? And so Enoch goes to God, tells God what the request is. God says, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And then he descends to the spirits in prison and he announces to them, oh, you're still doing it. Yeah. The answer's yeah. no. And then he leaves. Okay, so Peter knows the story is connected with the flood. They've got the ark, the water, the whole thing. Ah, that's great. So, so when, when, when Jesus, he, gets, he uses all that to, to mirror Jesus. When Jesus dies, he descends. Yep. And we know that part, into the grave. I mean, it's even in the Apostles' Creed. You know, it's just stuff like this. But early church tradition linked baptism, because this is where this story is going to end with baptism, to a denunciation of the, of the, the dark powers in the baptismal formulas, because their idea was Jesus goes down there, he preaches to the spirits in prison, which are not the dead humans, it's, it's these guys. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of a lot of Christians would even think, uh, oh, the dead spirits, those are like, you know, righteous people that died, and now they're getting to hear the gospel. They're, they're the ones that are in prison, and, and so yeah. Jesus goes down there, and again, this is Mike's paraphrase, but it's like, I know you didn't expect to see me here, fellas. And you probably think that, that the rest of your compatriots won because I'm dead. No. The answer is no. Because he's I know something. Right. He's, he's the second second Enoch. He's the second Enoch. You, you are yeah. still uh, defeated. Yeah. You are still doomed. You're not getting out of here. Wow. But I am. Paul, when he writes Romans, he uses Adam as a type of Jesus. Peter doesn't use Adam. 
he uses Enoch. He yep. uses the salary of Enoch. So we know from Peter and from Second Peter that he knows this material well because he'll he'll allude to things that are in, like the spirits in prison. That's not in the Old Testament. Peter uses the Enoch story that he assumes his readers know. And if you know the story, you know, Enoch, yes, he walks with God, but, but this is again in connection with what happens before the flood, with the sons of God, uh -huh. uh, yep. the watchers, and, and they're, be, they're being condemned. And so at one point in the story, as it's told in the book of Enoch, the watchers, you know, contact Enoch and say, well, you, you got a lot of favor with God, you know, so can you like go up to God and, and ask him to, to not you know, keep us in prison here. We're sorry, it was wrong, you know, we get it, he's right. Could, could you go intercede for us? And so Enoch goes to God, tells God what the request is, God says, no, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. And then he descends to the spirits in prison and he announces to them, oh, you're still doing it. Yeah. The yeah. answer is no. And then he leaves. Okay, so Peter knows the story. It's connected with the flood. He's got the ark, the water, the whole bit. Ah, so, so when 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 Jesus, he, gave, he uses all that to, to mirror Jesus. When Jesus dies, he descends. Yep. And we know that part into the grave. I mean, it's even in the Apostles' Creed. You know, I mean, it's just stuff like this. But early church tradition linked baptism, because this is where this story is going to end with baptism, to a denunciation of the of the, the dark powers in the baptismal formulas, because their idea was Jesus goes down there, he preaches to the spirits in prison, which are not the dead humans, it's, it's these guys. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of a lot of Christians would even think, uh, oh, the dead spirits, so those are like, you know, righteous people that died, and now they're getting to hear the gospel. They're, they're the ones that are in prison, and so yeah. Jesus goes down there, and again, this is Mike's paraphrase, but it's like, I know you didn't expect to see me here, fellas, and you probably think that that the rest of your compatriots won because I'm dead. No, the answer is no, because he's I know something. Right. I he's know the, he's the second they Enoch. Say like that you, Enoch. you are yeah. still uh, defeated. Yeah. You are still doomed. You're not getting out of here. Wow. But I am. Paul, when he writes Romans, he uses Adam as a type of Jesus. Peter doesn't use Adam. He uses Enoch. Yep. So we know from Peter and from Second Peter that he knows this material well because he'll he'll allude to things that are in, like the spirits in prison. That's not in the Old Testament. Peter uses the Enoch story that he assumes his readers know. And if you know the story, you know, Enoch, yes, he walks with God, but, but this is again in connection with what happens before the flood, with the sons of God, uh -huh. uh, yep. the watchers, and, and they're, be, they're being condemned. And so at one point in the story, as it's told in the book of Enoch, the watchers, you know, contact Enoch and say, well, you, you got a lot of favor with God, you know, and so can you like go up to God and, and ask him to, to not you know, keep us in prison here. We're sorry, it was wrong, you know, we get it, he's right. Could, could you go intercede for us? And so Enoch goes to God, tells God what the request is. God says, no, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. And then he descends to the spirits in prison. I talked to a Jew about the second coming of Christ. About how the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring was a spiritual kingdom. A different interpretation. So, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead 
dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so, you know, like I just said, that's Romans 8, 11. But this is uh, Paul writing to the church of Rome in the first century about the spirit of, of God, which raised Christ from the dead, about how that same, that same spirit is going to give life to their mortal bodies. Now, a lot of people read Romans 8 and they apply it to us today and it's all well. But Paul is writing about an event that they were waiting to happen for while they were still alive. And so when you quote Ezekiel 37, well, Ezekiel 37, that, that happened. Israel was resurrected when the, when the temple was destroyed. When the Jewish temple was destroyed, the spirit that was inside of the temple, it transferred, like I said, to the people, and it gave the people life. Yes, there are, in, in, this, new, in this new kingdom, in this land, there's offerings and etc., because the priests are the people. The, we and me and you and people who believe in Messiah or Adonai, we are the priests. We can go out and we can now forgive sins and we can heal the, heal the blind and do those things. We are the priests in this city, in this temple. Um, I think we just, we're just going to have to disconnect because I think what you're implying is if this is not physical, it's not real. And so I don't know how else to open your eyes because to me, just because it's not physical, that doesn't mean it's not true. And I find it very weird that we argue about heavenly things and spiritual things, but we are always expecting something physical. So uh, I see fulfillment in it because th this has happened. We are in the new heaven. We are in the new earth. Um, and uh, the evidence of that is the second temple was destroyed um that old priesthood was destroyed it was discontinued it was obsolete and now we are in a new priesthood and uh i'm a priest in this new kingdom and i can go and i can i can forgive sins and i can uh do etc just like christ so you're suggesting that um are you then if that's the case then that means that you're in alignment with what he just said about keeping the laws the statutes and the commandments because if you are a priest, right? Because since you said the priesthood is done away with, which the Most High doesn't say that, he actually says the opposite of what you said. He said that I will, you will always have a man from the family of the Levites to stand before me in chapter number 33 of Jeremiah. We went over that just probably about 20 to 30 minutes ago. So, and also too, we see in Ezekiel chapter 45, 46, all the way to the end, that he's established the priesthood that will be making these offerings, okay? So when you say those things about you being a priest, you can forgive sins, and, and you're this, this new priesthood, you're, and you take that based on what, you know, you've been taught, that you have the Spirit of the Most High, and you say, well, you know what? You're caught up on, on physical things that you, that you can literally see, you know, the things that physical. The reason why I deal with physical is because the Most High has dealt with physical things and he made a physical world and that's the way that we understand things like you're physical the food that you eat is physical now i'm not negating that they're spiritual because there is spiritual but you can't have the spiritual without the physical it just it's not going to work not here not in this place not in this domain so when he said in ezekiel that i'm going to set my sanctuary among them and all the nations are going to know that I chose them to be my people because of that physical sanctuary 
I don't understand why we don't want to accept the physicality of that that building. We just see it differently. I, you know, you, when you think about God bringing His people back into the land, you think about you know God doing it naturally. You've uh, been waiting to people. Because uh, you actually have a similar belief to most Christians. Like I said, I'm a Frederick. The Frederick view, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, uh, it's a minority view. So I'm, a lot of Christians are actually agree that, hey, God's going to bring us back into the land as well. I don't hold to that view. So, well, I just, well, didn't he do that? And didn't he do that with the children of Israel? Well, didn't he physically bring them into the land? Oh, that, this is my point. So, a lot of things that God did. God would do miracles, and at the end of God doing a series of miracles, He would say, "And now you will know that I am the Lord." But they didn't know that He was the Lord because anybody has ever physically saw God. Nobody has ever physically saw God. But they would have faith in who God is based off of what they physically saw God do. I like so, that. I like that. That was that's mm-hmm. beautiful what you just said. That's a beautiful statement. Mm-hmm. Right? So when, when, when we look at uh, things that happen in the New Testament and the fulfillment of these things, those things were a sign. Uh, those things were a sign so that when these, when these things finally did happen, we wouldn't be able to see them finally manifest in the physical, but we would be able to look back and have trust that it is fulfilled because we can look at what God did in the past. And so when we talk about you know, coming back into the land, and uh, I'm certain you, you believe in uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, for me, as a secret about the book of Je- I talked to a Jew about the second coming of Christ about how the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring was a spiritual kingdom um, a different interpretation 
So, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. And so, you know, like it's, that's Romans 8, 11, but this is uh, Paul writing to the church of Rome in the first century about the spirit of, of God, which raised Christ from the dead, about how that same, that same spirit is going to give life to their mortal bodies. Now, a lot of people read Romans 8 and they apply it to us today and it's all well, but Paul was writing about an event that they were waiting to have. Um, why is this such a hardship to change uh, the location of the Jerusalem consulate to Jerusalem for some for some people Did you know this secret about the book of Genesis? Did you know that the Genesis story is not about God creating the entire universe, but really the Genesis story is about God creating the Jewish temple. And here's why. During the time periods of the first and second temple periods of Judaism, for those who do not know, the first temple period is when the first Jewish temple was around. The second temple period is when after the first temple was destroyed, the first Jewish temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, and the second Jewish temple was made when the Israelites were let out of captivity by King Cyrus the Great. So there are two temple periods of Judaism. During those times, there was a popular saying or a popular idiom that the Jews would use called heaven and earth. Now, heaven and earth to us is the universe, is space, is planet. But to a first and second temple Jew, heaven and earth was the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple was on top of a mountain. And in the ancient world, it used to be believed that mountains were at the center of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth was a portal to the next life, was the Still Jewish temple. Why was heaven and earth referred to as the temple, or why was the temple referred to as heaven and earth? Well, because the Jewish temple was on top of a mountain, and in the ancient world, it used to be believed that mountains were 
at the center of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth was places in the ancient world and the perfect spot to build a temple for your God was on a mountain because mountains are high places they are exalted above everything else and mountains in the ancient mind at least they are what connect heaven and earth together now the book of Genesis was written during the Babylonian captivity so when the Israelites were in captivity to the Babylonians. That is when they wrote the Genesis narrative. And when the Israelites wrote the story of Genesis, they no longer had a Jewish temple. When the Israelites went into captivity, their records were destroyed. So as the temple, or why was the temple referred to as heaven and earth? Well, because the Jewish temple was on top of a mountain. And in the ancient world, it used to be believed that mountains were at the center of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth was a portal to the next life. And mountains acted as those portals. So mountains were very special places in the ancient world. And the perfect spot to build a temple for your God was on a mountain because mountains are high places they are exalted above everything else and mountains in the ancient mind at least they are what connect heaven and earth together now the book of genesis was written during the babylonian captivity so when the israelites were in captivity to the babylonians that is when they wrote the genesis narrative and when the Israelites wrote the story of Genesis, they no longer had a Jewish temple. When the Israelites went into captivity, their records were destroyed, their temple was burnt to the ground, and they were exiled from the land of Israel. So when the Genesis narrative was being constructed, the Israelites, their heaven and earth, or their temple, was destroyed. Which is why the, the Genesis story was written. The Genesis Water. story was written the while the Israelites Water. were in captivity. They had no hope. They had no temple. And so as a result, the writers of the Genesis narrative are trying to give their people hope. And they're trying to let them know, hey, although our physical temple in Israel has been destroyed, it is okay. And so when you read Genesis 1, when God creates the world in seven days, if you go to, for example, 1 Kings chapter 7, King Solomon, it takes some several years to build the first temple of Adonai. And that is why in the Genesis account, the author of the account has God creating the heaven and the earth in seven days. Because this is a microchasm of the macrochasm microcosm. of the Jewish temple. The Genesis 1 account is a microcosm of the macrochasm of God creating his temple. Genesis microcosm, 1 yeah. is really 
an Israelite political narrative about how God established the heavens and the earth the same way how King Solomon established God's first temple. You might not see it again, so go to the link in my bio and get my book, Secrets of the Bible from the East, if you want to learn more about this and take context. And I also have a... Okay, now, Ishmael and Isaac, they're the sons of Abraham, right? Amen. Okay, who's the mother of Ishmael? Concubine. What's her name? And in Arabic, as I know, like, no, I'm Hiram. Okay, show me in the Quran that it says Ishmael's mother was a concubine. The Quran. No, no, see, I'm, everyone's hearing it's recorded. My questions are clear. From the Quran, where it says Ishmael's mother was a concubine. I haven't fully read the Quran yet, so I cannot tell oh, you. Oh, so you abandoned Jesus for a book that you haven't fully read and understood. Yeah, that makes sense. Now go to chapter 5 of the Quran. Surah Al-Maidah, chapter 5, verse 27. Resigned them destroyed Adam's two sons, the truth, and they both made an offering to God. And he was accepted from one of them, and he was not accepted from the other. So let me later. What does the story bring to? What does the story bring to? You read 27 all the way to 32. What is it referring to? It says the two sons of who? In 27. Adam. Adam. So what is this referring to? This story. I don't know which two sons. Exactly. See, you don't know because the Quran is incoherent babble. This is supposedly the story of when one son of Adam killed the other. Who? Who are they? Because it talks about it, he killed the other, right? And they both offered sacrifices, right? Okay. So according to the Quran, this is supposed to refer to who? Ajalan. See? Beautiful. You left the Bible that's detailed enough so you can understand its historical cultural context for a book that's in Korean Bible because it assumes prior knowledge of the scriptures and yet contradicts those scriptures. See, this is what I'm trying to show you. It's supposedly Cain and Abel, but can't even tell you what their names are. Can't even tell you who they are. In fact, who is Adam's wife? What's her name? Eve. Okay, show me in the Quran where it says Adam's wife is Eve. Where is her name? Where is her name given? Well, Eve in English, but uh, no, where, even in Arabic, in Swahili, where does the Quran mention any name of Adam's wife? I haven't read it. I haven't looked to the point yet. So here's what we're just learning: you abandon Messianic Judaism and the Bible for a book that you do not know and haven't read, and yet you think you did something worthwhile and commendable. <laughs> okay, now. Ishmael and Isaac, they're the sons of Abraham, right? Amen. Okay, who's the mother of Ishmael? Concubine. What's her name? And in Arabic, I don't know, like, no, Hara. Okay, show me. Uh, uh, differences between Quran and the uh, Bible. I said, uh, I said that uh, Islam was created to put under mind control all the population that weren't covered by Christianity. Two sides of the same coin. I think there was a, like a nun. What was it? Like a Catholic nun? Like Muhammad or something?
one wife. Who should read wife. the book of Enoch? So this is a question I get a lot. And honestly, I got to say, there's nothing wrong with reading Enoch. The Bible quotes Enoch. It's Jesus fucking quotes Enoch in Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus quotes from Enoch. I've covered it Jesus in this podcast. The entire book of Enoch. It's fucking fascinating and mind-blowing. The meek shall inherit the earth. That is a quote from Enoch. The New Testament writer, Jew, quotes Enoch. First Peter quotes Enoch. So there's nothing wrong with reading Enoch. And whether you want to believe Enoch is inspired or not, that's not here or there. But my fear... Sanction. That most Christians who read Enoch, they don't read more than Enoch. If you're going to read the book of Enoch, read more than Enoch. Did you know there's three books of Enoch? First Enoch, second Enoch, and third Enoch. So get familiar with those books as well. Get familiar with the wisdom of Solomon. Get familiar with the book of Baruch. If you're going to read literature outside of the Bible, go hard. And also understand that... When the Bible is referencing these other texts, usually it is a polemic. What is a polemic? A polemic is a political attack against a nation, a group, or another religion. Well, usually when the Bible references other books, the Bible is usually trying to clear up the story. So, for example, the Genesis account makes references to the Babylonian creation story, Anuma Elish. In the story of Anuma Elish, the gods are created from the waters. Now, in the Genesis story, God isn't created. Instead, God is hovering over the water. So what the Genesis story is trying to say is that your gods come from the waters, but our God treads on the waters. That is... what the biblical authors are actually trying to do. The biblical authors are not giving credence to these, these other texts. The biblical authors are arguing against these texts. And you see this all throughout <laughs> the Bible. You even see this in the life of Jesus, where Jesus, he is fighting against the other gods. Jesus turning water into wine. That is not a cute little story about Jesus just simply turning water into wine. Originally, <laughs> the original person or the original deity that turned water into Babylonian creation story, Anuma Elish. In the story of Anuma Elish, the gods are created from the... They don't read more than Enoch. If you're going to read the book of Enoch, read more than Enoch. Did you know there's three books of Enoch? First Enoch, second Enoch, and third Enoch. So get familiar with those books as well. Get familiar with the wisdom of Solomon. Get familiar with the book of Baruch. If you're going to read literature... Outside references other books the bible is usually trying to clear up the story so for example the genesis account makes references to the babylonian creation story anuma elish in the story of anuma elish the gods are created from the waters now in the genesis story 
God isn't created. Instead, God is hovering over the water. So what the Genesis story is trying to say is that your gods come from the waters, but our God treads on the waters. That is the way that these biblical authors are better referencing than your these God. texts. My so God a lot is of times people read God. these texts, and <laughs> a lot of people are not familiar with what the biblical authors are actually trying to do. The biblical authors are not giving credence to these, these other texts. The biblical authors are arguing against these texts. And you see this all throughout the Bible. You even see this in the life Jesus turning water into wine. That is not a cute little story about Jesus just simply turning water into wine. Originally, the original person or the original deity that turned water into wine was the Greek god Baki or the Greek god Dionysus. Baki. Now, there is a story in the book of Posenaeus of Dionysus turning or filling <coughs> three empty jars with wine. Now, when you get to the stories of Jesus in the book of Dias,
person's reading the book of Enoch. So this is a question I get a lot. And honestly, I got to say, there's nothing wrong with reading Enoch. The Bible quotes Enoch. Jesus quotes Enoch in Matthew 5, verse... Do you know the secrets of Adam and so do you guys know what the curses that Adam and Eve took on actually were? Yeah, the reason why things die is not because two people ate a fruit in the garden. <laughs> and yes, I am a Christian saying this, and just because somebody has a different view on Adam and Eve, that doesn't mean that they're not a Christian. Nobody on this app has a heaven to throw me into or a hell to throw me into, so if you don't agree, just keep it pushing. So the story of Adam and Eve was written in what's called a honor-shame society. The Bible was written in a honor-shame society. What is a honor-shame society? A honor-shame society is a society where people value honor, right? We don't live in a honor-shame society today. We live in a society where anything goes and we are getting away from shame. This is why we have so many empowerment movements and I can do what I want when I want. Because in our culture, in America, we don't live in a shame society, an honor-shame society. So in the ancient world, a woman who could not have children, but in the ancient world, a woman who could not give birth to children, she was looked at as if she was dead. Physically, she would be alive, but she would be looked at as if she had no role or she had no function in society. A woman who could not have children was shame. It was a shameful thing in their life. Joseph died. Now, Joseph didn't physically die. 
obvious. But Joseph died because he lost his honorable status. In the beginning of the story, Joseph is in a high status because his father loves him the most out of all of his sons. He's the favorite. And then his brothers sell him into slavery. And when Joseph is sold into slavery, a slave in the ancient world had the lowest social status. So Joseph has his Technicolor dream coat taken off, or he has his, uh, his what is it, a sweater? It's a cloak, it's a coat, whatever. You guys know what it is. And so Joseph is stripped of his coat of many colors, and he is taken into Egypt so that he can be a slave. So God has to go into Egypt. God has to rescue Joseph while he's in Egypt. And God raises Joseph up to a honorable status of a royal vizier. It is at that moment when God resurrected Joseph from the dead. The story of Joseph is about how Joseph had life. He was in an honorable status. Then he died. He was in a dishonorable status. And then God gave him a life again. And God resurrected him. But life, death, and resurrection are social themes in the ancient Near East. Now, how does this relate to the Adam and Eve story? Well, in the beginning of the story, in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent is the most craftiest out of all the other creatures in the garden. Why? Because the story is trying to show how the serpent is in a high social status. The serpent is in an honorable position. He's looked at as the most exalted or the wisest creature in the garden. Well, what happens after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God says to the serpent, he starts judgment off with the serpent, and he says, because you've done this, you're going to crawl on your belly, you're going to eat dirt. Well, that doesn't mean the serpent is literally going to eat dirt. The serpent was in a high social status, or he was in a high position when the story began, and when the story ends, he is now in a low position. He's in a low status. When the story began, the serpent had a high honorable status. And by the end of the story, he has a low honorable status. What about Adam and Eve? What did I just say in the beginning of my video? In the ancient East, a woman who couldn't give birth to children, she was looked at as if she was dead. She had no function. She was shamed. Well, God says, in pain, you're going to bring forth children. That doesn't have to do with how women physically go through physical pain when they're giving birth. What it means is, through difficulty, Eve will bring forth children. It's going to be very difficult for Eve to have children. Because a woman who could not have children, or a woman who had a hard time having children, was looked at with shame. He was in an honorable position because she was able to have as many children as she wanted in the beginning of the story. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And be fruitful and multiply has now reversed to now you're going to have children in pain. What about Adam? Well, remember I just said, a man who could not 
take care of his family, a man who could not provide for his family, was worse. Adam is no longer able to provide for his family because thorns and thistles are going to come out of the ground. So before, Adam was able to provide for his family and they could eat from any tree in the garden. But now that Adam has lost his honorable status, Adam is now socially dead. And because he's socially dead, he's lost his honor. And one part of losing your honor in the ancient Near East was not being able to provide for your family. So in the story, Adam and Eve died in that day, but the death that they experienced didn't have anything to do with what we argue about today. Because this is a 3,000 year old book written in a 3,000 year old culture where they see death in their culture socially. And the death of Adam in Genesis is supposed to represent, it is supposed to symbolize the social death of Israel. It is supposed to represent the social death that Israel took on as a corporate, as a community. Because Adam represents Israel, and so the sin that Adam commits in the book of Genesis is really trying to tell the, the reader the real story about what happened when Israel sinned as a corporate, as a community, as a body. If you do not have my book, if you do not have my five-hour cultural contest course, which I will be adding to on a daily, go to my profile, get those two things. The discount code for my course is LEARN. I am tired of people not knowing anything about the cultural context of the Bible they're reading. And God wants you to know this stuff. It is not evil and it is not bad to know this stuff. It's bad when we're ignorant of this stuff and we're in church for 20, 30, 40 years and we're not able to articulate this to a brand new generation that's looking for answers. Follow me. Do you know the secrets of Adam and Eve? So do you guys know what the curses that Adam and Eve took on actually were? Yeah, the reason why things died is not because two people ate a fruit in the garden. And yes, I am a Christian saying this, and just because somebody has a different view on Adam and Eve, that doesn't mean that they're not a Christian. Nobody on this earth has a heaven to throw me into or a hell to throw me into, so if you don't agree, just keep it pushing. So the story of Adam and Eve was written in what's called a honor-shame society. The Bible was written in a honor-shame society. What is a honor-shame society? A honor-shame society is a society where people value honor, right? We don't live in a honor-shame society today. We live in a society where anything goes and we are getting away from shame. This is why we have so many empowerment movements and I can do what I want when I want. Because in our culture, in America, we don't live in a shame society or honor-shame society. So in the ancient world, a woman who could not have children... So in the ancient world, a woman who could not give birth to children, she was looked at as if she was dead. Physically, she would be alive, but she would be looked at as if she had no role or she had no function in society. A woman who could not have children was shamed. It was a shameful thing in their culture. A man in the ancient world, 
a man who could not provide for his family. He was shamed. They looked at shame as death.